I do want to um, make you aware of developments since we last met last week, um, not related to this church, but related to our, our friend, uh, uh, my wife's friend, our friend, Kelly, um, whose husband uh, went into hospice last week. He passed away Wednesday morning. So uh, he is, uh, well, hopefully he's with the Lord. And uh, just for a refresher, um, um, uh, Kelly's husband was ill with cancer for quite some time. And his, her father uh, also had some cancer and they had a successful operation, but he passed away from an infection. So within the last 30 days, um, uh, Kelly has lost her father and now her husband. So we... The ministry is ongoing. Um, there have been a lot of people who have reached out to her and given her um, support. They've been praying for her, uh, praying for her to have that uh, transformation where she sees God in a way that uh, a believer would see. Um, so I ask you that you just remember her. Her, her postings have been rather public on social media. And that's one of the good things about social media, and they're there are a lot of things that are bad about social media, but one of the good things about social media, it does allow for great interaction in many ways when you're ministering to other people and people are speaking publicly. And it's like a big conversational chat room, however you want to describe it. But um, it's times like this where people do rally around you and you need to see the love and support, even if you're a little bit isolated. Um, so just keep her in prayer as a, I think she's planning a celebration of life ceremony on the 1st of December. Um, we um, will probably be there because we, we want to support her as well, too. That's a, that's a Saturday. Uh, but just keep that family. The remainder, that's uh, Kelly and Sally. Sally is the uh, mother uh, who lost her husband and, um, and also Kelly and Brent. Okay. So I wanted to pass it on to you because we have been talking about it for a few weeks. And about the importance of our role in ministry, um, approaching ministry with a humble heart, a humble approach, prayerful heart, allowing the Spirit to speak, and knowing when to speak and when not to speak, amen, saying the appropriate words. That is going to be something that we are going to be uh, talking about for quite some time because that's basically what we as learning about discipleship, we have to know how to do those very things. And um, that's something that I just wanted to make sure that we were aware of. Always be humble. We don't need to get into this God-speak talk or stuff about it's God's will, it's God's this. No, it's not. You don't. It's, it's something that we have to stay away from a lot. Let God handle that part of the piece of communication with those people. You handle the part of being the ones who are consoling, the ones who are caring, the ones who are reaching out the ones who are expressing love and concern. People need to see the love of Christ come out of you. That's the most important thing. Okay, with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and get back into our Sunday School lesson and try to conclude it today because I believe we are on the uh, last stretch here of what we're talking about in this particular lesson number four, special delivery with care. And we'll do, for those who are not here just a very brief refresher and get into the end of the lesson. Um, 
Let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to come before you and just hear you speak to us with your word. Lord, your word says to us many wonderful, amazing things. Your word is consistent. Your word reflects your care and love for us. Help us to do the same as we minister to other people. Help us to have the mindset of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know there are things that get in the way of that very issue of being having the love of Christ. But Lord, we want you to help us to grow and mature in this area. That we can speak to the love of Christ to anyone and everyone. Even those people who we may not get along with. Even those people who we come in contact with who may be diametrically opposed to who you are and who we, what we represent. We pray, Lord, for this time that you give us of Sunday school. It's a precious time. We pray for more to have the mindset to seek after you at this time as well, too. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Lesson number four, special delivery with care. For those who have not been in this class, you note, I'll just remind you that this lesson started out with a discussion about how uh, individual, an individual, a friend, a former friend from, uh, of uh, Jennifer Rothschild's who... Uh, she knew well and who was not part of their choral group went home and was murdered um, by someone who had attacked her when she was going out and riding her bike. And the conversation with her father when uh, Jennifer was incredulous as to why something like this would happen and we typically wonder why God allows certain things to happen And the short answer that the father had given to Jennifer was that the Lord had brought this young lady from it. You know, normally we have the conversation about how God brings you through situations and brings you through hardship. But in this case, this was something where it was not a matter of this person escaping death. It was a matter that God had brought this person from death. And we gave... We haven't talked about it a whole lot, but some of the conversation that comes from this is that God allowed this to happen for a reason, that this person was murdered. And the discussion over several weeks about the fact that this person was murdered was that, you know, is God being compassionate? Is God still delivering us even when something like this happens? And the short answer to this question is, yes, he is. But I don't want you to take that answer and say that's an acceptable answer because it's not really about being acceptable or not acceptable. We have to understand that in God's sovereignty, he does deliver us from all kinds of things. And in some cases, we have to understand that he delivers us in ways that we don't always grasp or understand. We, pardon me? Or agree with. Yeah, it's not about an agreement. It's about his sovereignty that he does what he does. One thing that I've, I'm, you're, I'm going to see, in, and as far as how this whole thing plays out, the death of this friend's husband on Wednesday has reached so many different people on social media, and it's even reaching people who don't know the Lord. And what you've got to understand here is that sometimes in someone's death, someone else will experience life, the love of Christ. Sometimes these things happen 
for a much bigger reason and picture that we could not even begin to put our arms around. The death of this woman in this story, which is a true story, extends beyond her death, where it reaches other people. It forces people to look beyond themselves and look to something like prayer, which they may not be accustomed to do, something like seeking God, which they don't really have understanding of who that is, but they know that it's something they need to do. We were created in such a way where we have a yearning to seek something to fill a void in our life. Does everybody understand that? You were created in such a way that God created you where you are looking to seek a void of some sort in your life. Now for us, we found Christ who fills that void. But other people who don't know the Lord do what to fill this void? Yes. Find people like Jim Jones. They'll look to someone else. That's, that's, a, that's a good example. That's an example that I didn't think of. But they're looking for something to fill it. Whether it be another person. You know, sometimes we can make other people in our lives gods too. You see what I'm saying? But we were created in such a way where we're filling a void in some way, shape, or form, whether we know the Lord or not. I mean, before you knew the Lord, you would fill that by doing what? Drinking? Um, having sex. There's all kinds of things you were doing to find a way to fill this need that you had. And, you know, that for some people was a spiritual need. Alcoholism sometimes is a way of filling a spiritual need, a personal spiritual need. You're self-medicating yourself. You're doing something to yourself. And we, we say it's an addiction, and it is an addiction, but you're doing it for a reason. Now, getting back to what we were talking about, understanding that we are created in such a way we're looking to fill a void in our lives, people who are looking for answers do what? They are asking questions. They're trying to understand why something like this happens. Why do things like this happen? Why did this man who just had his birthday at 60 years of age die from cancer? And people are asking questions and people are doing their own personal seeking. People are looking for reasoning. People are trying to understand what's happening. The bottom line is, we've answered this question before, there are some things you are not going to understand. You're not going to understand them. There is no answer to the question. You know, every math equation has an answer. But it may not be an answer that is something that we can put our arms around. Sometimes the answer is something like infinity. Well, what is infinity? There's no number that you can put to infinity. No real answer that you can put your arms around. That's what we're talking about in this particular lesson about how God does indeed deliver us, but we sometimes don't even realize. Do you know that God delivers you even when you don't even realize it sometimes? Pardon me? Daily. Yeah, he delivers us. Now, again, protection and deliverance, we need to separate the two. Deliverance means, it can mean protection, but it doesn't necessarily mean protection. Deliverance is something that's different. But yes, on a daily basis, he's delivering us. He's redeeming us. 
He delivers us because he's redeemed us. That's one aspect of being delivered as well, too. We're redeemed. We're redeemed because of the blood of Christ. And we're living testimonies of that daily existence for other people to see. Your ministry to other people should reflect your life being a daily deliverance, a daily redemption, which means that you are humble because of what God has done for you. Humility, I can't stress enough how important humility is in this whole approach. Humble yourself to allow God to speak to you and speak to your heart in times of difficulty, in times of stress, in times of area or places where you don't quite have understanding, but God can still redeem you. God still delivers us. At the top of page three, when you notice that there are those different areas where God delivered us, God delivered Elisha and the Israelites. I'm not going to go over those again. I'm just going to mention that how he delivered us. God delivered these people. God delivered Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the one who was sick and got 15 more years because he was humble enough to pray and seek the Lord. God delivered the three young Hebrew men, which we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he delivered them, and he chose to deliver them. And even, they, even though they had an expectation that they would not be delivered. Although deliverance may be different, especially when you look at Stephen. That's the last passage there where God delivered Stephen. And we had a pretty good conversation about that as well, too. God delivers us on a regular basis. And this young woman that got killed in the story, God delivered Regina. And it wasn't in the way that anyone would have chosen, but it was his compassionate choice. Compassionate because she would not have to live through the experience of being raped and strangled and have to deal with that issue. Some people can deal with those issues when when it happens to them. Some people probably can't. And that's something that we have to look at and see in this whole practice. The most, her deliverance was in her being with the Lord. It's not a contradiction. Because ultimately, we're all going to go to that same place if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to be with our Lord one day. But we have a purpose. Sometimes we have a purpose in life, and sometimes we have a purpose in death. You got your hand up. The three girls held for ten years. Oh, that's a great story. Yeah. That's right. Does everybody know what she's talking about? They didn't hear you. The uh, custody of the three women in Cleveland for ten years by Ari, what is that guy's name? Ariel Castro, who kidnapped the three the, the three women at different periods, but had them locked up in her his house for a period of ten years, or he was raping them and. Father of a child, yes, one of the, one of the ch- children was actually a, a child as a result of uh, the pregnancy because of he, his rape. Um, 
You guys know who I'm talking about. Pardon me? Yeah. They still hang out together. That's correct. The one has gone on her own. She doesn't have a relationship with the other two. But Michelle Knight, who has has, uh, picked another name now, her last name is Rose or something. She's changed her name. But she's written some books. She's written a couple books, and she does some speaking. And you have to understand that her response to what happened was, was different than the other two girls. Well, the one girl, Gina DeJesus, doesn't talk much. She's a very quiet girl. She was the baby. She was, say it again. She was taken last. She was one of the younger ones that was abducted. That's right. They all had three different responses. Two of them do hang out together because they, they were closer. But there's still a testimony in all three stories. A testimony of survival and the fact that God had allowed them to live through that. Because I'm sure that if you're locked up somewhere for ten years, you don't have the mindset that you're ever going to get out. And yet they were strong enough to be able to get through it. And when I say get through it, it's a lifetime of pain and agony that you go through when you experience that. There's no such thing as getting through it and getting through it and saying you're all happy about it. You're not happy about any of it. You wish it would have never happened, but yet God still uses that testimony to reach other people. There is compassion in God's deliverance. And we talked about Matthew chapter 4. Let's do a refresher course. Go back to that real quick. Matthew chapter 4. What we need to understand and see about Matthew chapter 4 and about this personal God of Jesus Christ that we worship, and we'll see more of this in the upcoming lesson as well too. You have a Jesus who truly does know exactly what you go through. If there were no Jesus and we were worshiping a God, we would be worshiping a God, a, a deity, where we don't have any way of really connecting with this God because of who he is. Our connection is through Jesus Christ because of what he did for us. The fact that he made himself human. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now understand something. You try fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Pardon me? Yeah, you'll end up in the hospital if you don't do it right. And you, you, you better be prepared for that. That's right. But that's what he did. And typically we fast, we do fasting for those who practice fasting because you're trying to do what? You're trying to, not, and it's not just this internal cleansing stuff, you know, you, okay, whatever. You can, you can do that stuff if you want to, just drink water and eat vegetables and all that. But ultimately you're doing it because you want to get your mind in a place where you're truly looking to the Lord and looking for him and seeking after him. It may be a matter of prayer, it may be a matter of concern, it may be a matter of family issues, whatever it is, where people do fasting. 
Here he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. He was hungry because he was human, just like you and me. And it it goes further on. I don't need to read the whole passage, but you see how what he did was that he, Satan tempted him to the point where when you're fasting and when you're 40 days and 40 nights and you're hungry, you're sometimes not completely there. It's a moment of weakness. And sometimes you have to understand from a human perspective, Satan will try to take advantage of you, what? In your moments of weakness. When you're not seeking after the Lord. But we need to see that Jesus experienced this to show us that even though you are weak, even though you can be tempted, it doesn't mean you have to take the bait. He goes down and says, he basically uses God's word throughout the whole passage. Verse 10, Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. All he did was take scripture and rely upon it. Rely upon his word. He's teaching you in this very passage what it is to be delivered. Because the Lord is compassionate. He's compassionate because he knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what you have gone through. He knows it and you can relate to a God who understands who you are. Praise the Lord. Do you realize how empty our Christianity would be if we didn't have a Jesus Christ? It would be empty. You know, half of us may be here. Or maybe a third of us. Or maybe none of us. Because that's the thing we have to understand here, that Jesus Christ is the missing link Connecting us between God the Father and ourselves. We need to see that and understand that. He is compassionate. Jesus was delivered. Now remember, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. A teachable moment. Sometimes the Spirit gives us stuff where he teaches us. Sometimes we don't want that lesson. Lord, do you really want to teach me right now? I'm going through this thing. I don't know if I want to be learning right now what, you, what you're trying to teach me. But he's teaching us for a reason. My wife is really interesting. She, was, she tells a story about how her life is like a life of pictures where she will go someplace, she would go someplace driving and I think one day she was driving and looking for something and you ran across the American Greetings headquarters. You were heading to Great Northern, you made the wrong turn and you got off at uh, Tiedemann obviously and you saw the American Greetings headquarters. Oh, this was before she worked at American Greetings. And for some reason God gives her pictures of stuff before she gets to it. So she wound up applying and, and eventually got the job at American Greetings but that was years later after she had done that. And you've seen other stuff like that too. Yeah, different ways. And that's, that's something that, you know, God communicates with us individually and in special ways to prepare you sometimes for something that you don't necessarily know what you're going through. Well, sometimes we go through hardship for preparation purposes. 
Sometimes we are being prepared for things in the future. We don't know why we're being prepared for it, but we are absolutely being prepared for something in the future. So that we can teach. So that we can speak on a subject because we have information that's helpful for someone else. There's nothing worse than going to a school in college uh, or college uh, uh, to a class and you've got an instructor who, who you know more than the instructor does. That ain't too good. Okay? But if you can help someone with knowledge through a difficult situation, what a blessing you would be for that person. But all the while we need to be talking about how God has indeed delivered us. God will lead us at sometimes, right under the paragraph where it says Matthew 4.1, sometimes God will lead us into hardship just as Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Perhaps the wilderness wanderings of the Hebrew people give us a hint of why God sometimes delivers us into our own places of the wilderness. Go real quick to Deuteronomy 8. I'm going to start with verse 1 because I think it's important for us to look at what this verse says, the first, the first three verses in its entirety. Carefully follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and, you may, and may enter and take possession of the land of the Lord swore to your fathers. That verse is, just, is also just for us. Follow the commands that God has given you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your fathers. For our purposes, the land that, that we're talking about that we're trying to eventually get to is the promised land. Where Jesus Christ has redeemed us so that we can enter the promised land. The promised land for us is what? A place of fellowship in heaven with Jesus Christ. It's about being obedient to his word and being obedient to who he is as Lord and Savior in our lives. But let's continue. Remember the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Verse 3, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord which what we said before in Matthew chapter 4, those are the very same words that Jesus used in talking to Satan. We need to see that sometimes we have to go through this journey to see if we pass the test, to see if we are worthy of this communication with other people about living a life for Jesus Christ. Some people don't pass the test. Some people died in the wilderness. I'll bet you, for what it's worth, there's no money involved in this bet, but if those people were wandering 40 years in the wilderness, there were people whose hearts were so hard, they had to die in the wilderness because they weren't going to be a positive testimony for the Lord. But some people did get out. It may have been the children of these people, but they turned their hearts to the Lord and they were faithful. That's what we need to see and understand. It doesn't mean that just because you were in the wilderness 40 years that no one came out. Somebody came out. Someone came out. If your heart was not following the Lord, you probably didn't come out. If your heart was following the Lord and seeking the Lord, you probably did come out. 
He wanted to see that those commands were kept. He wanted to see that people were obedient to his word. He wanted to make sure that people, even though they were hungry, God still provided food. It wasn't the food that they were accustomed to. You know, could you change your diet if there was no other food around? Could you just wind up eating manna for a few days? That's all you got. If you ain't got nothing else, what you going to do? Rip the bark off of trees and try to eat that, see how that tastes? We have to understand something here about God truly does protect us, but he also checks our attitudes too. What is this manna? <laughs> Remember when, he, when we tried to give him quail and they were so much quail they were gorging it up there, they ate too much of it? You know, that was the, that's the sin of gluttony right before your eyes. There are lessons to be learned even in the midst of all this teaching that's taking place about what's appropriate. Eating what you need and getting that. And God is teaching us all the time, isn't he? God allowed his children to roam the wilderness for 40 years to humble them test them, expose what was in their hearts, and determine whether or not they would keep and depend on God's word. Guess what? God does this for you all the time. He's doing the very same thing to you. He wants you to be worthy and able to speak to other people about what you've experienced, but you still have to have a heart to seek after the Lord and be obedient to his word. That's a requirement. That's a requirement. If we're being asked to read and study God's word every day, that's a requirement. Notice I said asked. He's not making you do anything. That's a choice. It's a choice. We make choices all the time, don't we? You can either choose to do it or not choose to do it. But I would rather choose to do it because I'd much rather be ready when I'm called upon, when it's time to speak to other people. It doesn't mean you have to be a scholar of God's word, but it means you need to be sensitive to his word. We've got a lot of scholars out there that lack sensitivity. Not, don't have to be a scholar of God's word, but be sensitive to God's word. Be humble to his word. Be humble when you look at his word. Understand what he's trying to tell you. Remember what was revealed in 1 Samuel 16 about how God sees and knows the heart of the person. That's when Samuel was looking for the king. And yet, you can't just look at someone's appearance and say, well, that must be the king. It may be somebody who has a completely different appearance than what you think it is. We need to be sensitive to that. But also, never forget Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. That's down below on the handout. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. A very deep passage of Scripture. Because there's only one person who knows your heart. And I say person, I mean really the Lord, not you. You don't even know about your own heart. You don't even know. You don't have a picture of it. 
But the Lord does. He knows all about you. He knows everything about you. Does that make you stop and think when I talk about how the Lord knows everything about you and you don't even know about yourself? It should humble you. Because I know what I do sometimes. And I know it's not anything that's godly. So I know that it's very humbling when you really think about how the God knows you, knows who you are, better than you know yourself. You know, Paul talks about it in Scripture about how I do stuff, I, I don't even know what the heck I'm doing, but I'm doing the wrong thing. Paraphrasing. That's what he says about himself. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. There are things that God will challenge you with based upon where you are as your relationship with him. Interesting fact. You can have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but if you don't do anything with that relationship with him, he's not going to use you. Why would he? Where is it where you can be a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ? If you say, yeah, I know the Lord, I know who the Lord is, but you don't do anything to develop that relationship. How is he going to use you to reach someone else? You don't even know what to say. That should give you pause for those people who say they're believers, and yet you don't see any evidence of their being a believer anywhere around them. Over a period of time. How is God going to use you to disciple someone else? The answer, he won't. First of all, he won't do it because you won't have a desire to disciple someone else. If you don't have a developing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be about yourself. Still going to be about just you. You need to keep that in mind. Now, I need to preface that by saying that God does things that are beyond my understanding. But let's play a game of odds here. If your relationship with Jesus Christ sucks, how are you going to reach somebody else? Odds are you won't do it. That's right. That's exactly right. He's testing your heart. He's testing you to see if you are worthy if you are able to be compassionate, to look to other people. And we're still being defined and, and refined. We're still being defined and refined. The refining comes with our hearts, helping us to be humble and speaking to other people. In other words, not just saying weird stuff to folks when you're trying to minister to them or saying stupid things. We're being refined. We need to learn these things, and sometimes we learn these things by being what? Humbled ourselves. Think about the mystery of faith you deal with in your situation. As you consider it, circle one of the Israelites' deliverance lessons from the previous questions that describe what you may be learning from your trial. I'm on the top of page four, I'm sorry. Has the master potter used it to humble you, test you, or draw you to his word? Here are the types of deliverance that perhaps you can relate to. God is delivering me through hardship like he did the three Hebrew young men in the fiery furnace. God is, has, will deliver me from hardship through the healing or rescue like he did for Hezekiah. 
Now understand something. Remember, Hezekiah got 15 more years. But that's all he got. But that's 15 years is a lot for some people. It's a healing from a terminal illness. Go ahead. Say, pardon me? Compared to zero, absolutely. Oh, yeah. No time or 15 years, that's right. God has delivered me by preventing hardship like he did for the Israelites and Elisha. God has delivered me into hardship like his spirit led Jesus to be tempted. Each of the stories about God's deliverance features a positive faith statement, remembering that faith is not about the seen, but the unseen. Faith is a requirement for us as believers. A requirement. It's not optional. Faith is a requirement. When Debbie shows up for work, working at the daycare, there's got to be a lot of faith in that process. Because there's all kinds of stuff that can happen. And the Lord has to be going right before her in everything that she does. That's true for all of us. Faith. Faith is a requirement. Because we don't see everything. Faith is about the unseen. The unseen. What is your positive faith statement? There's an example below on the handout. I am rescued from destruction because of God's love for me. Now, a little bit of homework. Take this handout and write down what your positive faith statement is for you. And think about it. Don't just, you know, think about it and ponder over that. I'm not going to test you on it. But if you really think about it, every one of us has a positive faith statement. If you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that's where your thinking is rooted anyway. If you don't know the Lord, guess what? You won't have much of a statement. Because if you don't know the Lord, you're not relying on faith. You're relying on yourself. You're relying on what we call fate or luck. Okay? Which doesn't work, does it? When you play the lottery, even though you can have a better shot at getting struck by lightning on a golf course twice in one round, folks will spend that money to play the lottery because of a hope or luck that their numbers will come out. Is that a way to live? No. No, and yet people will go broke doing it. Choose a statement of faith you most need to claim in your hard moments. Rephrase it and write it in all caps for emphasis if you need to. Then down below that, do you remember, that's me talking, Do you remember our previous exercise and a previous lesson as to how you were to come up with your own statement of faith? We actually talked about this maybe even a year ago. Come up with your own statement of faith. How would you describe yourself? How would you write 
and describe who you are. Our church has a statement of faith. Companies have statements of faith, really good ones, because you need to be able to define who you are. The challenge for you is to come up with your own statement of faith. If you haven't already done that, that's what you need to do. What is it about Roscoe? What is it about Arella? What is it about Faith? What is it about Lynn? What is it about who are you? If you were to write down something about yourself, what would you say? In order for you to talk to other people about who Christ is, you need to be able to talk about who you are. To minister to them. You need to be able to tell a story as to who you are. If someone were to ask you to tell your story, what would you say? It wouldn't be something weird like, my name is Melvin Gaines and I'm just the luckiest dude on the face of the earth and, you know, I don't need the Lord for anything. I just do whatever I do and I get by. That's not going to reach anybody. Yes, go ahead. That's why I said he's still refining us. He puts us through the fire. He's still trying to refine us. He's burning off these things that even though you were not privy to it, he calls it to your attention. That's ongoing. And guess what? That's a compassionate God. He's showing you who you really are. He knows who you are. So before you start bragging about how good you are, He's still refining you. We're being refined all the time. Thank you for sharing that because that's true for all of us. Absolutely. Then Jennifer writes after what I had written there. When you get sucked into the deep hole of despair, let your statement of faith be a way God delivers you from it. Speak it to yourself and pray it to your father. Write it on a card or on lipstick on your bathroom mirror. That's probably the ladies here. Those guys have bathroom mirrors, but we don't write on mirrors with lipstick. And I write Charles. That's right. It's because we're manly men, right? We don't... Thank you. However, God chooses to deliver us... However God chooses to deliver us is really a reflection... Really is a reflection of His compassion. Delivering us into hard stuff, through hard stuff, and from hard stuff all show God's compassion and care. You place burdens on our backs... But you brought us out to abundance. That's from Psalm 66, 11 and 12. A piece of truth from one who knows. You give me life. You gave me life and faithful love. And your care has guarded my life. I think Job knows what he's talking about when he says that. When he said that. He truly was delivered too. 
So what have we learned about this lesson? How God is compassionate and chooses to deliver us are certainly two different things, but they do work together. They should help us when it comes to being able to speak to and minister to other people. The same compassion that he has for us, he wants us to relate to others. It's one thing to be a tough guy, like, you know, Charles and I were kind of having a little joke about, you know, yeah, we're manly men. But we would be terrible in ministry if we were always manly men and not being compassionate in speaking to other men who really need help. And I'm sure the same thing applies for the ladies, too. He is compassionate. We don't understand why he does what he does. But we know that he does it. He delivers us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to truly reflect upon the things that we need to do to continue to grow and develop in our relationship with you in order that we can be effective in discipling other people. And Lord, you allow some of those hurts in our lives and some of those humbling moments because you want us to grow and get better. You want us to become more Christ-like in our actions. You humble us to help us to be humble before others. And Lord, we're very thankful for that. And Lord, we don't always understand when it's happening, but help us as we get further and further along that we know when you are indeed dealing with us and you're dealing with us out of love and concern and that you do care about what happens to us. Help us going forward to be sensitive to you and to others who are in need of help. We pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next time with lesson number five.